0: Hey, good morning again, Hershey Freed. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I have the privilege of wrapping up our series on the book of Colossians that we are calling Deeply Rooted Together. This is a, a series that we intentionally put together designed to help us come out of this time of isolation due to COVID and to say, hey, how can we continue to be rooted with Christ, but also rooted together? How can we come back and be united together Well, Today, we're going to be wrapping up the book of Colossians by looking specifically at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. And what I would encourage you to do is if you have your Bible or you're using a phone, your tablet, whatever it may be, go ahead and pull that up. We'll have it on the screen for you too. But we're going to take a look at two specific things, things that Paul challenges us to do. And the first is this. It's to reflect Christ. In our relationship with Jesus, that should be a transformative change within our hearts that reflects itself outward. But the other part that we're going to look at is how do we respect others? As followers of Jesus who are in fellowship and unity together, how do we actually respect one another as we live this out? And this may sound like we continue to beat that same drum as we walk through the story of Colossians, as we're like, hey, we're, we're to be you know, honoring Christ, we're to be honoring one another, we're to be in fellowship and engaged in unity. And we're going, why does this keep surfacing? Well, I think the reality is this, is that this is not an easy thing to do. Nobody would ever say, hey, we shouldn't reflect Christ or we shouldn't respect others. But the reality is it's easier to say it than to actually do it. And so Paul's desire here as he wraps up the text is to help us and to reemphasize the main points that he's been pushing this entire book. And so my hope today is that as we look at this, we go, okay, how do we reflect Christ in our relationships, but also how do we respect others? So let's take a look at this. Beginning in verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul writes this. So devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions from him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort for me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis." Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. This is a, a letter that Paul is finalizing. He says, look, guys, like I'm going to give you these, these ways to reflect Christ in your life. I'm going to give you these commands or imperatives. It's these direct commands to the people who are reading the letter and to us as recipients of it as well. And he's like, these commands are how you reflect Christ. These, these reflections of Christ are, are signs of an inward change in our hearts as they are manifested outwards to those around us. And the first way that we reflect Christ is this, is by devoting ourselves to prayer. Specifically in verse 2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says, pray for us too in verse 3 that, we may, that God may open a door for our message so we can proclaim the mystery of Christ and pray that I may proclaim it clearly. You see, Paul is saying right away, he's like, look, part of the way that you reflect Christ is by living it out in prayer. Prayer is, is something that, In Western Christianity, we have relegated to only certain moments or certain times. It's a difficult circumstance, and we should pray. It's mealtime. We should pray. It's before bed. We should pray. We're at church. We should pray. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It's how we connect with God. It's our relational component with him. It's how we communicate with him, how we hear from him. And Paul says, look, when you pray, it's kind of this twofold approach. Yes, you pray for yourself. Pray also for me. Pray also for those in ministries all over and that, and that God's word goes forth. Pray for us. So we are to be people who are devoted to prayer so that when people see us, when we live this out, they see that prayer is not only a part of our lives, it is a transformative piece to who we are. Paul then in verse 2 also says, hey, be watchful and be thankful. And, and I don't think it's by happenstance that Paul puts these two things together. You see, when he says be watchful, what Paul is saying, he's like, look, as followers of Jesus, you guys should be discerning and aware of what is happening around you. You should be looking at how the world is changing. You should be taking note of the difficulties that are are around you. You should be looking for spiritual apathy. You should be making sure that what is taught and preached in churches is the word of God and not a a position or, or a preference from somebody in the pulpit. But here's the thing. I think if we only are watchful that can lead us to a hard place. It can lead us to a place where there is tension and frustration because we only see the negative. It can lead us to a place where we become bitter with where the church at and the lack of change that is taking hold. And I think arguably we we saw this a lot during COVID. I think for a lot of us, we became frustrated with all the, the mandates and the requirements, the changes, the things that didn't seem to make sense it just takes root. But do you notice how Paul brackets this though? It's be watchful and thankful. Because I think Paul is aware of the human condition that if we are only watchful, we can get frustrated and upset, perhaps even bitter. And Paul goes, no, but be thankful. When you look around this world and you see the tension and the pain Be thankful that God has a place prepared for you where there will be no more pain and no more grief. When you look around this world and you see the way that it it just seems like it's just falling and crumpling and just giving in to sin and you feel like there is nothing left, be thankful that God has the ultimate victory, that ultimately sin loses That God wrote the end of the story and sin has lost when we look around and we feel the tension within churches and we're like, why is this the way it is? Like, what is happening? We can be thankful that ultimately God is still in charge and he's the head of the church and that even if people are are, are teaching and proclaiming that a personal preference or ideology is, is gospel truth, we know that ultimately God's word will survive and truth will ultimately triumph. You see, we serve a God who is not removed, that just because we might become apathetic or frustrated, that God doesn't remove himself from the equation. Rather, we as followers of Jesus Christ need to bracket that watchfulness with thankfulness and to realize that we are called to something deeper. And so as followers of Jesus then, as we reflect Christ to this world, we devote ourselves to prayer, we're watchful to discern what is happening, but we're also thankful about what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do. And then he tells us also in verses five through six, he says, "Be wise and full of grace." And again, I think it was an intentional thing to to put these two phrases together. Check it out in verses five and six, Paul says this: "Be wise in every way you act towards outsider, making the most of every opportunity, and let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everybody." See, I, I think the reason Paul does this again is because like, we can sit there and we can be like, man, we are wise people. We may not say that because it sounds arrogant and prideful, right? But like, that could be what's in our hearts sometimes. Like, I've read the Bible. I've read theology books. I did all the right things. I checked all the right marks. I've done all the studies. I, I know this stuff. And sometimes we take, wise, take, take that understanding of wisdom and being wise and we leverage it. And we use it almost in a controlling way. This is the only way to do it. I know what I'm talking about. This is how it should be done because I have the wisdom. But oftentimes what happens then is we allow for our own desires to take hold. And Paul says, hang on, wisdom is a good thing. And he actually tells us, I love this way he phrases, he goes, be wise in the way you act. But he says, let every conversation be always full of grace. So he's like, hey, be wise, but everything you do should be full of grace. Every conversation, every interaction, every thought, everything you do should be full of grace. So when people see you, they understand who you are because of how you're living your life in reflection of whose you are. So as we seek to reflect Christ, we are being wise and discerning. We see what's going on, we are taking the Bible, we are applying it to our lives and saying, hey, let us live this out well. But at the same time, we realize that there, there's going to be tension. There's going to be moments where it's difficult. And Paul says, be full of grace. And as followers of Jesus, man, every moment that we engage people should be grace upon grace upon grace. People should know us because we, we love them like Jesus does, not because we have the head knowledge, but because we have the heart of Jesus. So as followers of Jesus, as we seek to reflect Christ to this world, we devote ourselves to prayer. We're watchful and thankful, and we're being wise and full of grace. But I think there's another imperative that that isn't specifically spelled out here in the text. You won't find it necessarily as like, do this or be this. But I think it's this understanding of like, as followers of Jesus, we need to live in fellowship and in unity with one another. And as we do that, we are called to respect each other. And I don't think anybody would say, hey, you know, respect is a bad thing. Nobody would ever say that. Like, we all like respect. But at the same time, like, how do we do that? How do we respect others? How do we receive respect? And Paul here, in the latter part of this passage... He kind of gives like these random shout-outs. And at first we're like, who are all these random people? Do I really need to read this? You know, When I get to those parts of the books of the Bible, like when it's a genealogy or like all these, like, hey, let me say hi to this person, hi to this person, or it's like all the rules and regulations. We'll read it, but we're kind of like, yeah, I'd rather read something a little bit more ap- like applicable to my life. But the reality is that each of these individuals that Paul talks about, I believe there's a tangible application and a purpose and reason behind why he uses them. In fact, I think what Paul's purpose here is to help us to understand how we should respect one another by highlighting these individuals. So as we reflect Christ from an inward change outward, how do we then respect others as we engage in fellowship and unity with them? Well, first I think we do it by seeking unity within the church. In verse 7, Paul writes this, he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now, we don't get a lot of information about Tychicus. And and really, we're just going to call him Ty from now on because this is not a fun word to say. But here's what we do know. is As Paul is talking about Ty, he's like, check this out. Let me give you these categories of who he is. A dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. It's almost like he's giving these, these reasons to invite him in. And Paul is saying, look, you might not know him, but my buddy Ty, take a kiss, this guy is legit. He is a follower of Jesus just like you. He may look different, act different, talk different, but he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And what Paul is saying is like, look, check this out. Like, man, we come from all backgrounds, all different walks. Like, there should be unity. Like, when somebody comes in, you don't know them, but they're a follower of Jesus, man, they are a part of your family. They are a part of this thing, and we should be unified in that. We also see in verse 9 that Paul specifically addresses and reconciles sin, and part of, part of respecting others is actually this aspect of addressing and reconciling sin. If you were here last week, Pastor George actually talked about Philemon a little bit. And the interesting thing is most scholars would actually say that Philemon was actually a member of the Church of Colossae, and that the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians were actually written pretty close to another, and might even have been brought together to the church. And if you remember, Paul, or, uh, Pastor George talked about how Paul challenged Philemon in regards to Onesimus, who is his slave. And he said, look, like, the reality is like Paul is going to look to deconstruct, to destroy slavery from the inside out. He's going to crumple the foundation so everything just falls away. And here, notice how he refers to Onesimus in verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Do you notice here that Paul, first of all, he doesn't go, Onesimus the slave. Nor does he say, Onesimus the free man. He says, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. What Paul is doing here is he's saying to the church, who knows Philemon, who knows the circumstances with Onesimus, and going, look, let me set this up real quick. You know what? Slavery's wrong, guys. This is bad. Onesimus is no longer a slave. He is one of you. And like when we talk about church, we talk about family. Like that's how we should be. We should be family. And Paul's going, look, the reality is that was wrong. That was not okay because he's a part of your family. He actually says he is one of you. He's saying, look, we are going to kill this sin dead. It was not okay. And how we're going to move forward from this is by not continuing to do this but also reconciling the fact that Onesimus is now one of us. And so part of respecting others is addressing and reconciling sin. And in some ways, that means that we have to be able to admit, hey, I was wrong, and to seek forgiveness, to seek the acknowledgement of like, hey, I messed up and I need to change. In other ways, it means going to people and that we have to be receptive of when people come to us and say, hey, you're right, I didn't realize that. I overstepped, that's on me. And part of respecting others is as we address and reconcile sin, we we look to it not as this critique of saying, you are this nasty, vile person, but saying, in Christ I am being made new. Let me change my life and live differently. Paul's challenge here to the church in in Colossae was, hey, this was wrong. We're not doing that anymore. Move in this way. Be this now. Be a voice for change. But we also see that we are to champion diversity. In verse 11, Paul writes this, he goes, there's this guy, Jesus, not that Jesus, but another Jesus who's called Justice, who sends greetings. And he says, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. And we read that, and we're like, okay, what's that mean? Well, what we know about about justice, Jesus' justice, and and potentially about justice, Uh, Aristocardus and Barnabas is this, is that they were members of a party within Christianity that was called the Party of Circumcision. They were former Jews who were still following some of the Old Testament principles, including the the principle of circumcision. And and that was something that they carried into their faith with Jesus. They still did that. It didn't disqualify them. It didn't make them not a follower of Jesus. It was just what they did. It was the way that they lived it out. But what we know is that caused some tension with the, the, the Church of Colossae. Because they didn't live that way. And Paul's going, look, it's okay to have people from different backgrounds. It's okay to have people with different theologies. It's okay for people to work this out differently. Diversity is a good thing. And he's saying, welcome them in. These are people who have been there for me. They are sound brothers and sisters. Welcome them in. And as, as the church of God, as we seek to respect others, we need to champion diversity. There are people in our church from all different backgrounds, all different upbringings, people with all different life experience from all over the world, different races, creeds, ethnicities, heritages. We have to realize that the beauty of the church is that we are not all the same. The beauty of the church is that people from all walks of life, backgrounds, races, creeds, The beauty is that we have that as we all seek to be like Jesus. And so as followers of Jesus, part of respecting one another is championing diversity to realize that there are going to be people with different thought processes, different theologies and and outworkings of their faith, and that's okay. Just because somebody likes a different worship style doesn't mean they can't come to church here. Just because somebody had a different upbringing or comes from a different background does not mean they don't belong. That is the beauty of being in a family, of being a part of the church of God, is that we can have different people with different backgrounds who bring in a uniqueness and diversity into what we are doing and who we are. But that means we also need to be willing to work through the tension. Because the reality is when you have a bunch of different people, From a bunch of different backgrounds, there will be tension at times, right? And that's just the truth of the matter. Like, there's going to be parts of, in in, in our life and our relationships, where we don't always agree. I've talked about how the church is like a family. And for many of us, we know that even within our families, there is tension, right? That we don't always agree. Mom and dad, you don't always agree with your kids. Kids, you definitely, we don't always agree with our parents, right? Sometimes even husband and wife don't agree. Sometimes it's extended family, and it's difficult, right? Growing up, it, it, it wasn't that we always agreed. My family, we, we fought like cats and dogs a lot of the time. My siblings and I, if you, if you see us, like, you would look at us at points and be like, you really love each other because you guys, man, you guys go back and forth. And it's like, oh, that's how we show love. But here's the thing. Growing up, our, our, our family had a saying, blood is thicker than water. And some of you have heard that saying. Some of you are like, I've never heard that before. But the mentality for my family was this, is that no matter what happens, no matter how much tension there is, at the end of the day, we're family. And we always have each other's back. And what we need to understand as followers of Jesus is this, is that there is going to be moments when there is tension. But the tension doesn't win, because the blood of Christ is thicker than the water of any tension that exists within humanity. The blood of Christ is thicker than any tension that can exist within members of his church because that is the unifying principle. That as followers of Jesus, we are united together not because of what we do. We are united together because of the blood that Christ shed so that we could have a relationship with him. And so it's understanding that as we respect each other, we don't allow for the tension to remain. We don't become passive-aggressive. We don't dismiss it. It's not that we don't deal with it. No, rather, we need to engage with it. But we engage with it, how Paul outlined: with grace, with love. We respect one another. And we say, hey, like, there's some tension here. I want to make sure that we're working through this. It doesn't mean the relationship is always going to be perfect, but it's an acknowledgement that you are striving to reflect Christ in all aspects of your life as you respect one another. So it's being... As others, we or as we respect others, we're seeking unity. We're addressing, reconciling sin. We're championing diversity, working through the tension. But we are also, we're also having men and women working, serving, and leading together. What I love about this in verse fifteen is Paul gives all, like he's got all these shout-outs. but then in verse fifteen he goes, "Give my greetings to my brothers and sisters in Laodicea, and to Nympha, and in the church in her house." This was so countercultural. You, you never would see this in, in this culture where, where a, a, a religious leader, somebody of influence, would shout out or give praise to women. That just wasn't how it was. It was a very patriarchal culture. And what Paul is doing here is he's like, look, part of the beauty of the church in how we respect each other is recognizing that men and women all have giftings from God and recognizing that God has called us to use our giftings and capacities and to do that together. And so that means, yes, we will have men and women working together, serving together, and yes, leading together. The beauty of the unity within the body of Christ as we respect one another is recognizing the gifts, skill sets, and the opportunities to serve God together in his church. And so it's allowing for men and women to rise up and use their God-given gifts and to lead well together. And lastly, we respect each other by submitting to authority. In the concluding verses of this chapter, Paul says something in verse 17. He says, tell Archippus, he goes, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. Paul is calling out Archippus, not in this horrible, critical way, but in a way of kind of admonishing him and saying, hey, Archippus, like, God called you to something. You have a calling. And we don't know if, if, if he had just gotten apathetic or if he just said, hey, like, I'm not feeling it right now, or if he was like, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. But Paul goes, Archippus, I'm going to challenge you. God has given you this call. See to it, you complete it. And I believe what Paul is modeling here is submission to authority. You see, Paul was an apostle of Christ, meaning that he was one of the very first leaders within the early church. He was kind of the top-down. It was like God, and then we had the apostles and the pastors and leaders, and he's going, look, he goes, Archippus, you had a calling from God, and I'm calling you out on this. You need to get your behind in gear and do what God has called you to. And the understanding here was that Archippus would hear what Paul had said and respond well to it because of his authority and his leadership and his calling from God. And so as we respect others, a big piece of that is submitting to authority. So as we come to the end of this passage, this book, this study in the book of Colossians, we have to go, okay, so what is the application? Because these are all great in theory, but like, what does this look like in our lives? Well, first, I think it means that we love like Jesus and we live counterculturally. You know, if, if you've been at Hershey Free for any amount of time, you've probably heard this reference, live, love, lead, right? Live with Jesus, love like Jesus, lead others to do the same. And the reality is that as we reflect on the book of Colossians, one of the big takeaways is that we need to love people like Jesus. We need to be always full of grace. We need to be always showing people Jesus. That means we are dying to self and living for Christ. It means people, when they see us, they should first and foremost see Jesus Christ in our lives, by how we engage with them, how we love them, how we care for the people in our community and outside of it. And that means we live counterculturally. You see, when I say counterculturally, I'm not saying in a way that it has to be offensive to people. The gospel is offensive in and of itself. We don't need to add fuel to the flame. We let that speak for itself. But as followers of Jesus, we are to live radically different lives in this world how Paul raised up Onesimus and challenged slavery in his day. How he raised up women and stood against the patriarchal society and said, no, these women are faithful servants. They are faithful leaders. To Nympha, a leader of the church in her home. We need to elevate that. And we as followers of Jesus, we need to stand tall for the truth of the gospel. And that means at times we will be countercultural. It means that we will champion for what is right even when everybody else says it's wrong. It means we will stand for the truth of God's word and live radically differently. We will love people well. We will treat them as Jesus treats them. We will see them as he sees them, not through our eyes, but his. It also means that we need to embrace diversity and listen well. We need to understand that there are going to be different people of different backgrounds, upbringings, different perceptions, ideologies, different heritages, different Racial backgrounds, and that is good and healthy. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Revelation chapter 7, when it talks about how before the throne of God, everybody, all the followers of Jesus Christ, will be before the throne from all different backgrounds, from all different races, creeds, tongues, nations, and we will worship God together. But you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, hey, Hershey Free Church, you're going to be in this corner. And this little Southern Baptist Church from down south, they're going to be in this corner. And my brothers and sisters from Africa in this corner. That's not what that's saying. It's going, no, we are unified together. We are mixed together as we cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's not about saying, hey, we're here and they're here. We're parts, but we're separate. No, it's about being unified and embracing diversity. It's about saying, hey, there are different people in our congregation, people who probably don't think or believe all the same ways I do. That is good. That should stretch us, that should allow us to to engage in conversation. We should not live in echo chambers. But instead we should be listening well to our brothers and sisters and and all around that be seeking to learn and to grow as we embrace that. It also means then that we need to engage in discipleship and live a life of prayer. This entire book, Paul's modeling discipleship to us. That's not just coming to church, going to a connect group, doing the live, love, lead. Yeah, that's all part of it. But it's not the capstone. Discipleship is doing life on life with people being pushed to mature and grow in our faith as we seek to walk with Jesus daily. It's about living it out in our relationships with other people, allowing people to pour into us as we pour out into them. We engage in discipleship exactly as Paul went through and and he encouraged and challenged and admonished people. So likewise should we be doing that in our circles and spheres of influence. But lastly then, we need to live a life of prayer. Paul started off this passage with prayer. And I don't think that was a mistake. I think that was really intentional. I think we are to be living a life of prayer where we are engaging with prayer in all aspects, not just at certain times or moments, not just at certain circumstances. Prayer should permeate who we are. It should be a part of our DNA. It should be what moves us to action as we pray, grow, and know who God is. That should change our hearts and transform us as we reflect Christ outward because the inward transformation. And that should bleed into our relationships with others as we seek to respect them, as we build unity and fellowship within the body of Christ. Hershey Free, my prayer for us is this, is that we will be a people who reflect Christ well. That when people see us, they don't don't see Nick. They don't see you. They see Christ first. Because of the inward change. May we be people who reflect Christ well, but may we also be people who respect others well. May we be people who love well. May we be people that when others look at us, they go, I want that fellowship. I want that unity. I want that family. May that be the representation of the work that God is doing in our hearts. So as we come to the end of our Deeply Rooted series, my prayer for you is this, is that we can be a congregation, a church within the big C church, God's church, who respects one another and reflects Christ well. Let me pray for you guys. Awesome God in heaven, thank you so much for all that you've done, the ways that you have poured into us, the ways that you've challenged us. Father, may your word move us to action. May we not be committed to apathy, but may we be committed to action and vibrancy and may people see the love and the transformative power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Father, may we reflect you well in all of our interactions. Father, change our hearts. Help us to see with your eyes, to hear with your hear- Your ears, Father. May your heart be ours. And may that be seen in how we respect and honor one another. May we be a church that fellowships well, that is unified together as we pursue you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. I hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you soon.